Reactor online. Sensors online. Weapons online. All systems nominal. Hello everyone, this is Carrie with Unicorn Company here to talk about the Southern Assault 2 tournament and to answer a couple of questions that came up during it. First of all though, let's jump into the news. The big news is still the Mercenaries Kickstarter. Catalyst has put out another announcement about the Kickstarter with a hard date of March 23rd, 2023 as when it starts. And it includes a few sneak peek pictures in the news post on their website. I am looking forward to this one, as I'm sure it will include a lot of mechs that do need reworking in their, their uh, visuals. Um, also, I'm hoping to get a few miniatures out of it. <laughs> also, next up, we have the announcement of the uh, Fox Patrol series all being condensed into one book called Fox Tales. Uh, this book retails for $5.99. Um, outside of Catalyst News, we have... A uh, couple new miniatures from Fortress uh, Fortress Games and Miniatures. They've released um, a new dropship and a new ex a new mech, both exclusive to them. The mech is the Greyhound, which if any of you listen to the Mech Bay podcast, you'll be familiar with, as it is the uh, shoot. It is the one that is up on their their logo, and they uh, Fortress has also released a dropship, a map-scale dropship called the Stronghold. Now, this is obviously made to be a proxy for the Union or Fortress at map scale. In Alpha Strike scale, though, it is capable of being used as a Confederate because at least, as si at least size-wise, um, it matches the Confederate's height in Alpha Strike. And finally, we have the Southern Assault 2 Tournament, uh, which went off this past weekend, and it was an amazing success with a total of 52 players at the tournament, and I would like to congratulate all the winners in the tournament. In Player's Choice, we had Dustin Fagg. Next was the uh, Best Hobbyist, which went to Justin Hall. In the Best Painted category, we had third, Will Wesson. Second, Samir Patel. And first, Dustin Fagg, who... The only way you can win two categories is by getting player's choice plus another category. Um, after best painted was sportsmanship, which went to third, Steve Maisel. Second, Donovan Marsh. And in first place was Andrew Brake. After that was best general, uh, with third place for uh, going to David Latezia. Second place going to John Alspich. And first place going to Matthew LeBaron. Now, finally, we have the overall tournament winners, and to get this category, you had to have the highest scores combined for all the categories. Um, so you added up all the scores, and the top three there with best combined total were the winners for this. In third place, you had John Mosier. Second place was Joshua Varger, Varga, sorry, and first place was yours truly, Carrie Joe Patton of Unicorn Company. Um, I want to congratulate everyone who won, also everyone who was there for making it an awesome tournament. 
I feel a bit weird announcing myself as the overall winner as it feels like arrogant or something, but you know, I wanted to guarantee an interview with the winner, so I guess I succeeded there, right? Um, so let's get on to the actual after action report for the tournament. And, you know, this is from the view of the girl who ended up surprisingly on top. Uh, first of all, going into this, um, let me set up how things ran. The tournament was a 375 point tournament with six rounds. Your list had to be specific to a faction and an era of your choosing. The games were played on 4x4-foot tables with preset terrain, giving no one a real advantage in terrain placement. Also, in deployment, players would roll for initiative. The winner chose their table side and deployed first, and you could choose any of the four sides. Also, before we get into each scenario, I'm going to go ahead and go over my list. I had a total of 12 units. Uh, mercenary, Ill-Clan era. Uh, I had two squads of Marauder Battle Armor, Skill uh, skill 3. Two squads of tor Tortoise 2 Battle Armor, Skill 3, and they were all squad 4 sized, because you had to stick with your factions thing. Um, next up was two Heavy Hover APCs at Skill 7. A Warhammer 2C11 at Skill 3. A Battlemaster C3 at skill 3. A Blackhawk KU Prime skill 3. A Mad Cat W skill 3. A Tarantula ZPH-1 skill 3. And a Tarantula ZPH-2A at skill 3. The list itself was painted in a blue, white, and pink camo pattern with a black band on their right arm representing Unicorn Company Special Operations Group, Susie's Corsairs. The unit mirrors another unit I have painted, just called Susie's Corsairs, which is painted in a scheme based on the Red Corsairs. Um, the unit is a tribute to my deceased wife, and I'm very glad they did as good as they did. Did as well as they did. Uh, for the most part, the unit is rather standard. The only gimmicky thing in there are the APCs, which I refer to as the party buses. As they each carry a squad of Tortoise 2 battle armor on the inside and a squad of Mara Marauder battle armor riding on the outside with their X-Mech ability. These units would rush the center of the board usually, into woods if possible, but I don't think that ever happened, to allow them to create a problem for my opponent, as they were able to put out a combined 16 damage in a turn, and ignoring them would be an issue. The tarantulas are the harassers of the unit, and would usually skirt the battle sniping at enemy units, dealing one or two damage each, not representing a major threat, but useful in capturing objectives. The Mad Cat and Blackhawk were there as a mid-range skirmishers, and finally the Warhammer 2C and Battlemaster were there as tanks to soak damage, but also they put a lot of it out. Um, I'll be leaving any critiques of the tournament to the end of the after-action report. Um, the first round was a stand-up fight called Fight, like at the beginning of uh, Mortal Kombat, I guess. The scenario had 8-inch deployment zones. Actually, all of them had 8-inch deployment zones except for supplies. Um, scenario 5. It lasted 2 hours or 8 rounds, whichever came first, which I think was also standard on all the scenarios. My first opponent was Jonas, and his list was Clan Wolf. It was a Wolfen H, skill 3, Madcap Mark 4, skill 3, Incubus, skill 3, Ryokin K, skill 3, Hellhound 8, skill 3, 
two Etona Primes at skill three, and two Black Wolf Battle Armor Flamer versions at skill four. This being a stand-up fight, there isn't too much to talk about here. Uh, there were a lot of open firing lanes on the table, and we began engaging pretty quickly. Uh, the party buses dropped off their units in the middle and helped secure some early victory points against my opponent, and the Mad Cat and Tarantulas were also pretty far forward and suffered some casualties, as well as the battle armor and the party buses. In total, I lost 134 points against my opponent losing their entire list and came away with a very encouraging round one win. Also, since I hadn't had a chance to playtest the list, I was very pleased with the result as it proved a lot of theory crafting to be true and gave me a bit of confidence going into round two. So, speaking of round two, uh, that one was called Extraction. I don't have my opponent's list for this round, but I do have a picture of their list or their units. Um, so I can at least give you what they had, but not exactly. They had a Turkina, a Loki, a Thor, a Mad Cat, a Fire Falcon, Executioner, and two points of Elementals. The Elementals would be the key to my winning this. Um, the scenario is one also from last year and was by far the hardest scenario to win. There's an objective in the center of the table. You have to go to it and be uncontested for a full turn without moving to be able to pick it up. My strategy for this was to crowd the objective, but also to kill off my opponent's forces before standing still to claim it. Over the course of the game, I whittled down my opponent to a single point of elementals, losing about half my battle armor in the process. And once they were down to a single point, I was able to pick up the objective with the battle master and slowly trundle my way back to my edge of the board. Um, the elementals obviously were in hot pursuit. They did do a good amount of damage to the battle master, but it made it all the way to the edge. I think this game is the one that helped secure my eventual win as very few people won this game and most everybody ended up in a tie. So if you win this one, you sort of like leapfrog up in points a lot uh, because it uses a point system for scoring wins. Round three was hold the line. Uh, for this round, my opponent's list was a clan coyote list. They had an Ares medium tank at skill five, an Oro heavy tank at skill four, a BL6 KNT black knight at skill four, a CRB 27B Crab at skill 4, an FLS 8K Flashman at skill 4, an Executioner Prime skill 4, Hunchback 2C at skill 4, a Madcat S at skill 3, and a Vulture C, oh, Vulture C at skill 4, and an Annihilator ANH-1A at skill 3. The point to hold the line is to keep as much of the enemy off your side of the table as possible while making it to the other player's side. This is a very hard scenario and was an extremely built-up spaceport train, which was beautiful, but also made firing lanes really weird. Um, I initially was able to destroy both vehicles and the Hunchback 2C with the battle armor while I was pushing hard up against the center, the enemy's center, um, to put myself in a position to kind of try to secure that. In the process, though, I ended up essentially causing them to flank me, um, which put me in a position where now I had enemies on both sides of me, and I was kind of stuck in the middle in a crossfire. So it was really brutal, and eventually, like, we were both down to, like, just a few, a handful of units, 
and I barely eked out a win on this scenario. Round four was strategic points. I don't have a list again, but once again, there are photos. My opponent was running the following units. A clan wolf list of a dominator, vulture four, mad cat, tundra wolf, mad cat four, two dashers, a storm wolf, and two points of elementals. Now, the way this scenario works is that there are three objectives on the center line of the table, and the players had to claim the objectives for as many turns as possible. What won it here for me was the fact that I could infantry rush the two side objectives and hold the center with my heavier units. The Mad Cat played the role of troubleshooter as it was called on to move back and forth around the table and destroy lighter enemy units by just dumping tons of dice at them. Um, to be fair, my biggest saving grace, though, was that my opponent had taken up position in a bunch of trees near their deployment zone and for some reason did not want to move out of them. Had they decided to rush the middle with most of their stuff, that game would have possibly gone very different for, differently for me. Uh, fortunately, they didn't, and I was able to pull off a respectable win. Also, we were both very worn by this round, and I tried applying classic logic to Alpha Strike once their armor had been stripped on the Stormwolf, I believe it was, um, which has reflective armor. In my brain's like, the armor is gone. Why is the why is the damage reduction? Um, since then, we, you know, we were able, after discussing it with, in what should have taken like two lines of, of words, because we were so like burnt out, um, it took us like five minutes. But after talking about it and everything, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, that's how it works. And it's also been clarified on, I didn't ask for it, but it's been clarified on the rules on the Catalyst website, um, on the forums. So after a good amount of rest, well, okay, not a lot of rest, and a visit to Waffle House to refuel, we began round five on day two. The round five game was an interesting variation on King of the Hill called Tactical Chaos, a scenario that would call on all the players to bring out their inner Lyran general for a meat grinder. The scenario, um, the setup for the scenario involved one objective in the middle of the table. And with this, there were eight walls that had gaps in between that were six inches from the objective, creating a ring. And these walls had Solaris-style electronic, like, force field walls, or whatever they call them at Solaris, that would emit up to emit a, a electric wall up to level 10 that could not be shot through that activated on a roll of four up. At the end of each movement phase, you scored one point for each unit within three inches of the objective at the end of each turn. No contesting, it was just pure how much stuff's on the, on the middle. Now, my opponent's list was a Wolf's Dragoon's list. They had a Warhawk C, skill 3, Warhammer C3, skill 3, a Gargoyle C at skill 3, a Dragonfly E at skill 4, a Dasher H at skill 4, a Loki D at skill 3, a Maxim at skill 4, a Heavy Urban Response Platoon, two of them at skill 4, and Flamer Elementals, two of those at skill 4. Now, for the opening moves, my opponent ran their APC with the infantry up on the objective, as well as the dragonfly, and dropped off their elementals. While for some reason, and I don't know why, their, their dasher, they decided to go really wide to my right. Um, 
the Warhammer and Warhawk pushed right up the middle towards the towards the objective, and the other mechs they had excuse me, the other mechs they had decided to go off to my left flank to a lake that was right near there, but it wasn't within the uh, the circle. I pushed everything up the middle in two lines because um, there were two breaks towards my side, so I just pushed everything straight towards those. Um, and to be fair, it wasn't a game of finesse. It was a game of smashing each other's heads in as we pushed in the middle. Um, by the end, because I had been able to push so much stuff up the middle and my opponent had done the weird flanking thing, which I still don't understand, I was able basically to out-a-trip my opponent. Um, one interesting thing that came up during the game was heat. Uh, their Loki put two heat on the Blackhawk, and they said it should remove one from my TMM regardless of jumping. Um, it didn't really come into play, though, as the Blackhawk never was inside of the three inches, usually hopping behind their units um, to get back shots, which was actually quite dangerous on my part. But anyway, um, but I did promise that I would find out for them about that. If you know what the, what, cause, cause in a rule book, it just says that it doesn't say whether it applies to jumping or just ground or whatever. Um, so I did go to the forums, asked in the rules, hey, here's the situation, does it apply? And they're like, nope, here's an errata where it's covered and it does not apply to jumping. So just that way, um, you know, for future reference, it doesn't apply to jumping, which really didn't come into play that much because, to be fair, my opponent was way more concerned about other things on the table. Um, the final game of day two, game six, it was called Did I Hear Supplies? In the scenario, um, there are four objectives, one in each corner, and a final one in the middle of the table. So my opponent's list for this one was a Wolf's Dragoon's list, uh, Vulture Mark IV D, skill 4, Madcap Mark IV, skill 3, Stormwolf Prime, skill 4, a Vixen 3, uh, which I did not write down the skill for, give me a second, skill 4. A Griffin C at skill 3. Uh, Wolfhound WLF-6S at... Why did I not write this down when I was doing the script? There we go, skill 4. A Fire Falcon G at skill 4. A Guillotine 2C at skill 4. And two squads of Cavalier Battle Armor. Flamer, skill 4. Um, the scenario is played out in a strange way, as both of us were pushing on, excuse me, both of us were pushing on the middle constantly, and I was able to deploy uh, one of the party buses, I was able to get them to the other side of the table and dump off infantry on one of their uh, objectives, and I was able to continually contest that objective. Actually, no, I take it back, they all went to the middle. One of the, I forget what they're called, tarantulas had hopped all the way over there and was contesting the objective and was able to live way longer than it should have. Um, but with that, and my two objectives being mine for so many turns, as well as the center objective being contested the whole time, um, I was eventually able to get a win. Now, we did end up each with two units left each, one on each of our home objectives, and 
literally a no man's land in the middle where mechs had just piled up to the death. Um, so I don't think that game actually... I think that game went to time, actually. Yeah, so... Yeah, around six months time. Um, it was it was an epic game, but it was also like it was weird because a lot. Well, I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, all in all, it was an, a great event, and out of my games, um, round one, two, and four ended thirty minutes early, and round five I ended up wrapping up forty five minutes early, which was awesome because that gave us free time to just you know um but yeah so i mean overall it was a really good weekend it was a a, a fun bunch of games with a fun bunch of people um i'm still a little bit beside myself like i mean it's awesome but you know it's like how the hell did i get here uh, <laughs> um, other than that, uh, before I go into any critiques or anything about the event, um, I did get a couple interviews I got with my first and second round opponents. Uh, second round is a little bit windy sounding because we had to go outside because there was so much noise inside, so you'll hear some wind there. But, um, after that, I want to go ahead and talk about, uh, more about the event, about critiques, about things that were good. And um, then I'll regale y'all with my story of uh, the Death Hotel. So, <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and break for that. And um, then we will get into critiques and good stuff and um, the story of the, the, the crazy Death Hotel. There we go. Um, so... What was your name? My name's Jonas Skinner. And uh, where'd you come from, Jonas? Came, came from uh, D.C. area. Awesome. And uh, what is your favorite mech? Uh, oh, wow. Favorite mech. Gonna have to go with the Marauder. Draw my favorite all time. Awesome. Well, no no joke intended there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, and what faction are you running today? I'm gonna be play, playing Wolf today. Awesome. I look forward to that. Yeah. Second year here, so I'm really uh, really excited about, about doing this. Cool. Well, thanks. No problem. There we go. Um, all right, so I'm here with Chris, uh, my second round opponent. Um, Chris, uh, just want to know where you're from? Where'd you come down from for this? Yep. Hey, I came down from Percival, Virginia. Okay. And first, uh, I already know, but what were you running? I was running uh, Clan Jade Falcon, Clan Invasion. Okay. And what is your favorite mech? Favorite mech? Uh, probably Shriek. Big fan of Shriek. It's a good, good looking mech. It's fun to play with. Cool. It's a Falcon mech, isn't it? It's a Falcon mech. Yeah, yeah. Is that what the claws? It's one of the claws. Yeah, and <laughs> if you ever played tech, it was a fun mech to play with and put tech. Oh, yeah, I didn't really. I think I bought one pack and I got like uh, aggro mech and something. I was like, no. Yeah, <laughs> I, I suffered through the aggro phase to actually get to the point where they started releasing some fun things. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure playing against you. Well, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, good luck to you. Okay, um, so now, first of all, I want to do some uh, critiques of the event. Um, I only have two, really. 
And these are... These are... Well, no, there's three. Three critiques. And these are some things that all my opponents sort of agreed with. Um, I don't think anybody disagreed with me when we talked about it. First of all, um, an overall thing is terrain. Now, I know that Fortress and uh, the person who owns Fortress, he's putting this on himself. And he is doing a lot of amazing stuff here with this, you know, with the game and with what he's doing as far as running the event. I feel like a lot of the terrain is either too small or it is too sparse. Um, by this, I mean, like, some of the buildings are, they're, they're true to 6 millimeter scale or even 8 mil, well, maybe 6 to 8 millimeter scale, where, you know, the buildings are maybe a third of an inch tall, um, some of them. And also a lot of the scatter train is roughly about uh, roughly the right height to be partial cover, but not quite in a lot of cases. Because of this, you have a lot of open firing lane. And essentially, it you know, that and combined with the, the lack of a lot of woods templates, it makes it very... Um, very one-sided a lot of times where once somebody gets the ball rolling on damage and everything else and it just sort of the game starts to lean further and further towards that person which i know is normal but you can do that really quickly with a lack of large terrain or a lack of um just good cover the second complaint well second critique not a complaint Second critique of the game of the tournament uh, was scenarios, um, and this one has to go with the one where you're grabbing the thing in the middle. Which, okay, I get the whole, you know, I get the scenario, um, but winning it by killing everything except one squad of battle armor on my opponent's side and then just having to walk across the table while they do their plinking. And it makes you feel really shitty. I'm not going to lie. Um, the only way to win that scenario is pretty much to destroy almost all of your opponent's forces. And then you are not threatened enough to pick up the objective and walk away. Um... I don't have a suggestion off the top of my head for something different, but that would be something that I might put forward a proposal to and be like, hey, look, here's some ideas for something similar, but it's not quite as rough, um, you know, so that way you're not, I don't know how to put it, um, you're not extremely exposed for one turn, and everything just guns you down and it makes it where you have to almost board wipe your opponent to win the game. Um, the third and final critique I would have is about which round has which scenario. Um, having fight at round one makes the beginning of the day, beginning of the day, you know, very casual, let's play a game and we'll just beat each other up problem with this is having that at the beginning 
means that round four, and mind you, we're talking about two-hour rounds here. So by the beginning of round four, you've got six hours of gameplay under your belt, plus you have an hour lunch. You are pretty, your, your brain's getting pretty melty by this point. Um, I would suggest, if anything, flipping the round one and the round four um, events. That way, round one, you have a pretty basic objective event, which most war gamers are going to be familiar with coming from just about any war game, any competitive war game setting. That is a pretty baseline scenario. Um, round four, when your opponent, when your players are all pretty much burnt out, um, giving them the fight scenario means that they don't have to worry about getting on objectives. They don't have to worry about any of that stuff. It is simple. It is a lot less brain power being used. It is outmaneuver and outkill your opponent. That, that's it. No, no weird stuff there. No, I have to be here, there, or whatever. Um... So, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much what I have to say on that. Now, I did want to talk about my experience with going to the tournament. Um, okay, and this is kind of funny. So, oh my god, where to start? Okay, so last year, I stayed at this little rinky-dink motel, uh, me and Roz. We stayed there. Um, was it the greatest place? No. I think it had like a two-star rating it was your traditional like rooms with access to the outside you know your little rinky dink type hotel or motel actually um but then i was like all right so this year i'm gonna do good i went and i booked a hotel that had a had a like three and a half star or something like that rating it's not, not the greatest, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, oh my God, this should be like the, the you know, the Ritz. It's, it's not the Ritz-Carlton. It's, it's, it's a little hotel, and, and, but it was backed up by a name. It was, you know, this is a, a this should be a decent hotel. And I shouldn't have to worry about hearing police cars. I shouldn't have to worry about any weird shit. You know. So I was originally going to go with uh, um, my girlfriend. And they're going through a lot of stuff right now as far as, like, a move and all this stuff. So it's like, all right, so they can't go with me. So then I asked my wife, Sarah, and she's like, absolutely. Um, so me and Sarah go up there, and we get to the hotel I had booked. Um, we get in. And I, okay, so I'd gotten a room with a king bed, and that was about it. It was just a king bedroom, you know. It was a nice, nice, nice room, nice hotel, that type of thing. I get in there. Sarah gets in there. We both get in there. Anyway, I'm, I'm, whatever. Um, so, here we are in this hotel that looks a lot more rundown in the picture show. And uh, the lady at the desk is like, all right, so here's your room key. And we'll give you about like 15 minutes to go make sure the room's okay. Which should have been like the only red flag we needed. 
So then we go around the corner, go to the elevator, and it's like this little pass-through right there and these little glass doors and steps. And we hit the button and it won't work. Well, the maintenance guys are all outside smoking. And they come in and they're like, well, we can't figure it out. And then one of them goes, oh, maybe it's off. Okay. Because apparently somebody's moving furniture and they had it off. So he goes and disappears and comes back and it runs. So we go upstairs. Go to the room. Um, and mind you, the, 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 the elevator, by the way, like totally reeked of like somebody had used it to hot box or something. It was bad. So we get up to the room and the smoke detector is beeping and it's uh, two twins. It's like, yeah, this is not what I wanted. Um, and this place is terrifying. So we went back downstairs to the front desk and it's like, I go and I say, all right, so it's not the room I ordered. And quite frankly, your elevator's terrifying. And um, the smoke detector's going off in the room, too. Or it's beeping, like the battery's low. So I would like my king room, and I would like it to be on the first floor. I'm like, well, we don't have a king room in the system for you. I'm like, all right, here's my receipt. I have a king room book. They're like, nope, nope. I was like, all right, how do I get my money back without any fees? And, yeah, it was, oh, my God, it was so terrifying. <clears throat> so then we went, we ended up going to a hotel that Sarah got, which was way better. They actually gave you water at the front desk when you came in. It was like, what the hell? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not used to living that life. It's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So we went there. I went for a little walk on a trail that was nearby. And, um, oh, God, what else was there? Oh, and then we went to Five Guys. Was it Five Guys that night for dinner? No, no, no. Five Guys was the second night. I can't remember. You know, but we had a really good time. And then um, the next morning before day one, we stopped at Waffle House. Got re really good Waffle House. And I know some of you are probably out there like, oh, my God, this girl eats Waffle House. What the hell? Okay. I am not like Southern raised or Southern born, I should say. But I have been, I have lived most of my life in Virginia, and Waffle House is a thing for me. I like it. Um, I already know, like, when I go in there, I know what I'm getting. I know all the lingo for my, my hash browns and all that, and I go in, I get what I want. Everybody's nice. Um, Waffle House, especially in the Carolinas, mind you. Um, Waffle House seems to be one of those places where diverse, it, it, it's, it's just diverse. It's people are accepted no matter what in a Waffle House. So if you ever find yourself, you know, if, if you're, if you're, if you're part of the alphabet mafia and you find yourself in the South wanting to go somewhere to eat, um, in a very rural area, if there's a Waffle House, that's where all the people who, who, I mean, yeah, you'll have, you'll have the people you don't want to be around you eating in there, but also the people like you probably work there um, because Waffle House is just one of those places that's, I don't know how to explain it. Um, but yeah, so that is the hotel, the, the hotel story. And um, uh, what am I forgetting? Oh, oh, uh, let's see. We're already 33 minutes in this. We should do a mech tech. Um, so...
give me one second and we will get into a mech tech. Okay, so today's mech tech, <clears throat> because I promised spider mechs all season, um, I'm probably running out of spider mechs. Spider mech, spider mech. Anyway, um, we are going to be covering the scorpion because scorpions are related to spiders. Um, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So, the Scorpion was originally built in 2570, um, and was essentially built to be a really stable weapons platform, um, but ended up being stuck in an infantry support role after it was introduced. Ironically, even though it's supposed to be a stable weapons platform, also, it, um suffers from having a very rough ride to it and for you know to be fair a lot of people do not like the scorpion as far as in universe because of that um now the mech did have an attempt at a land air mech version as well which didn't really come to much um although it was able to alleviate the uh the rough ride that the Scorpion had on the 12S model and everything that came after it. Um, so, getting into the actual specs of the machine, the Scorpion is um, built on a standard structure and powered by a 330 Fusion engine, giving it a top speed of about 97 kilometers an hour, um, which is respectable for it at 55 tons, uh, which it, it puts it in the same class as like the, the Shadow Hawk, the, um, oh God, I'm forgetting mech names. Basically, it puts it in the same, same area as its contemporaries for speed. Uh, it does have seven tons of standard armor for protection with 10 single heat sinks. Um, as far as weapons, it has a super basic loadout for a medium mech, a single PPC mounted along the uh, mounted in one of the torsos, as well as an SRM6 in the other torso. Um, pretty much, it looks and feels like a walking tank. So, the battle value of the Scorpion, the base model um, SCP. Dash one end scorpion is one thousand and one nineteen one thousand and nineteen, and like I said, it's a it's your pretty basic mech. It's nothing flashy, nothing super special. It's just a quad. It you know, so it's pretty basic. Um, after that, you have the variants, uh, the SCP dash one O. Uh, this came out in 3049. Um, pretty much swaps out the PPC with an ER PPC, giving it far better range. Um, and it was upgraded with double heat sinks, making it far more capable in handling the massive heat load of the ER PPC. And it comes in at a battle value of 1,054. Uh, the 1TB variant of the Scorpion... Um, has a pair of light PPCs as its primary weapon, and this is this 
this mech also has a medium miss or multi missile launcher nine, allowing it to fire both long and short range weapons or long short range missiles. Um, it's powered by a light fusion engine and has a mask system that allows it to go up to speeds of 120 kilometers an hour in short bursts, but it's not recommended you go for long because you will lock up the leg actuators. Uh, the battle value on this one is 1185. The 10M variant came out in 3080, is built on an endo steel chassis, powered by an XL engine, um, allowing it to go up to 119 kilometers an hour without mask. <clears throat> it also has an extra light gyro and carries for its primary weapon a heavy PBC. Uh, this thing does 15 damage. Basically, it's a clan, PPC, clan ER PPC without the range. Has an LRM-10 and 9 tons of armor. Um, it does have 10 double heat sinks, which are usually enough to keep the thing from overheating. And um, has a battle value of 1458. Now, the 12C Scorpion, um, it's... Similar to the, the original design, it has an upgrade. It's upgraded with an XL engine and has ferrofibrous armor. Um, primary weapon on it is an ERPPC like the 1.0, and it has double heat sinks. Um, it removes the SRM 6 launcher in favor of an improved NARC missile beacon launcher, um, which, while being friendly for, you know, helping friendly units with that, that are heavy on missiles like a longbow or an archer doesn't do much for this mech itself um it also has a c3i computer because you're already gonna be getting close to enemy units for that narc the c3i pretty much allows you to uh give all your targeting data to your friends as well now the problem with this mech is the Scorpion is not a very good close-range mech. And quite frankly, you got to get pretty close to use that NARC. Um, the SRM-6 was there because, oh my god, if somebody gets close to me, I have a thing. The NARC missile beacon is more of, I have to get close to you to use the thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't really like the upgrade. It seems kind of not the right thing for the for the scorpion <clears throat> and this one it's i want to say this is the project phoenix one it is uh which is why the the design has like a wonky look to it and it has a battle value of 1259 next we have the 12k uh has an xl engine 10 tons of ferrofibrous armor on it and has a snub-nosed PPC with an MML-9 for its primary weapon, uh, primary weapons with an ER medium laser as a secondary. And of course, because it's House Karita, it has a C3 computer. This one, I think, is a little bit better than the 12C simply because you... Um, how do I put this? You can pack short-range missiles in the MML launcher to give you a pretty robust short-range kick. Um, but you're still wanting it to go up close to the snub nose, and also the uh, C3 
computer. It, it's going to want to be up close, and it has a battle value of 1260. The final variant of the Scorpion is the SCP-12S. Uh, the 12S is it was built by Defiance Industries based on the the Scorpion Lamb prototype uh, blueprints and stuff. Um, and it's pretty much a ground-up rebuild. It's an endosteel chassis with a light fusion engine, making it where it can survive a side torso death, side torso loss, but then it pretty much has no side legs. So, yeah, six and one half dozen the other, right? Um, it does upgrade its primary weapon from a PPC to an LBX-10 autocannon. Um, for backup, it has an SRM-6 launcher, pretty standard. This is... Okay, so the light engine feels odd because even though you won't die to a side torso explosion um, or a side torso loss, you... How do I put this nicely? The mech no longer has two of its legs. Um, on one side at that. If you take any creature on Earth that has four legs and delete two of them, that creature is no longer capable of doing things. Well, two of them on one side. That is exactly the problem here. The scorpion... Yeah, it just, it's not, it does not like things like that. Um, now, we also, I, I do want to take a quick look at the Scorpion Lamb because we're here and, you know, why not? It's it's a land air mech that is a scorpion and is just, it's interesting. <clears throat> so, this was like a proof of concept type thing um came out in the late 27th century it was brigadier's attempt to get a land air mech into that market which was dominated by the stinger the oh god the wasp stinger and phoenix hawk um now it has the same weapons loadout as the standard scorpion with a ppc and an srm6 which is not bad. Um, but, in fact, the mech is not, it's not a bad mech. It has more heat sinks than the standard Scorpion. Um, it, it just has problems. Because, apparently, when you try to take a mech that has four legs instead of two, and make it transform into a fighter... Um, it makes it where it really can't do the conversion without probably laying on the ground like a splayed out cockroach or something. So this is something that is just kind of quirky and interesting and I thought I would touch on real quick because who wouldn't want to see a flying four-legged mech? This, you know, I mean, the closest you can get is like a part, I think you can throw a partial wing on him. Um... You could always, like, take a stalking spider and put a partial wing on it and just watch chaos ensue, but, I mean, that's about it. You know, so, I mean, that's, for classic, that's a scorpion in a nutshell. Um, what about 
Alpha Strike. The place where I live, eat, sleep, and breathe, as far as this game, is Alpha Strike at this point. So, and I'm doing this all off the cuff, by the way. Um, I don't know why. <clears throat> I think just because. Um, I wanted to cover the tournament more than I wanted to cover the mech tech today. <laughs> oh, that's something that I did not see. Also, there's a Scorpion C, which is not... Where did you come at? Rec Guide 19. Okay, so give me a second. I gotta go grab the Scorpion C stats real quick. Um, this, this, this looks interesting. The clans have a version of the Scorpion. And it is standard rule. Ooh, yes. Give me a moment. I have to go grab this. Okay, so apparently I need to go update the Sarna article about the Scorpion. Because um, that's where I get the list of variants from, usually. So, first of all, there's the Scorpion 1BR. Uh, which... Pretty standard, but an interesting upgrade. Um, do, 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 do. 55 tons... Uh, has a light engine, 330 light, and it looks like it has it has mask. Which I don't think I covered the BR. Hold up, give me a second. I gotta look. I I am all over the place today. I apologize so much. Uh, yeah, the BR was not covered in that list. Okay, so the BR. Um, if I can find it again, there we go. All right. Uh, has heavy ferrofibrous armor, eight tons of it, ten double heat sinks. Um, weapons on this are an ERPPC, Streak SRM6, uh, has one ton of ammunition, so that's actually kind of nice, um, that it has, has a Streak launcher, case, in case the ammo blows up. And, like I said, the mask system allowing it to go up to uh, about 120 in short bursts. Only problem with this, once again, light engine. If it gets blowed up, it's not very useful on the battlefield. So, eh. Let's see if the record sheets have the other Scorpion variants in there. Alright, so scrolling down... So I saw a bunch of other Scorpion variants. So there's the 1BR, the 1O, uh, the 1TB, which I don't think Sarna covered, which I'm going to have to add that. Yep. All right, so the 1TB, looking at the record sheet, has... The 1TB looks a lot like the... Hold up. Oh, no, I did cover the one TB. Okay. Let's say, what the heck? That, that seems familiar. Um, the 2N. Oh, the 2N is nasty. Okay, so the 2N uh, moves 6, 9, up to 12 from Mask. Has tag, two MML3 launchers, one in each torso, and has a plasma rifle, which, that's a fun little toy. Um... Does have 10 double heat sinks 
and it's powered by a light engine with an extra light gyro to get the space. Ooh, that's uh, yeah, that's easy to crit right there. So once again, you can end up plopped on the ground with two legs. You know, awesome sauce. Not really, but still. Um, and then finally, we have the Scorpion C. The Scorpion C uh, moves six nine up to twelve inches again, or not twelve inches, twelve hexes. Um, mixed tech. It has a micro pulse laser in the left torso. Has a clan ER PPC with a capacitor in the right torso. That thing hits like a, oh my god, that's a twenty point. Um, yeah, that that's nasty. Like that thing reaches out to twenty three hexes and can do twenty damage in a single shot. Ugh, very painful. Um, ATM-6 in the right torso, Advanced Tactical Missile Launcher-6, um, so it can fire standard ER or high explosive rounds, um, and that makes it very threatening. Uh, how much ammo do we have? We have three tons of ammo, so it can carry all three kinds of ammunition, and it has a supercharger. Um, it does have 20 double heat sinks, and with that Clan ER PPC putting out 15 heat, 15 damage, or, well, 20... 15, yeah, 15, 15, plus, plus 5 on each of those for having the capacitor. Um, that is rough. That is that is very rough. And it does have case 2 in the torso with all the ammunition. So it can actually take an ammo hit and not be, uh, <clears throat> not be crippled by it. So it's not going to... It's not going to suddenly be flailing about on the battlefield if you take the side torso out. It does have the XL gyro of the... 2N, which I'm assuming the C is based on. Okay, so that is that is all of the Scorpion variants that I can find. Um, and I think that's all the ones I have here. I might have... Okay, those are custom. Alright, so let's go ahead and look at the Scorpion. Uh, let's start with the 1N um, in Alpha Strike. Waiting for the computer. Yeah, like I said, I'm doing this off the cuff. Sorry. All right, so the Scorpion 1N. Um, most of this part will stay the same. Battle mech, size 2, TMF2, mo uh, movement of 12 inches, skirmisher. Um, does have a point value of 27. Has short and medium of 2, long of 1. No overheat, armor of 4, structure of 5, with no specials. So this thing is pretty... Pretty basic. Uh, then we'll look at the 1-0. This one is also 27 points. Skill 2, or sorry, not skill, size 2, TM2, 12-inch skirmisher. Um, 27 points, 2-2-1 for short, medium, and long with no overheat. Armor of 4, structure of 5 once again, and once again, no specials. Uh, pretty bog standard scorpion. It, in fact, if you wanted to run the scorpion two times for almost the same version, you run the one N and the one O, and you have you know two scorpions right there. All right, next up we'll look at the one BR. The one BR. Uh, ooh, it's a little interesting. Uh, this thing is size two TMM three. Move 16, Skirmisher, comes in at 42 points, 
uh, has a short medium of three, long of one, armor of five, structure of three with case. So it can at least survive at least one ammo explosion in Alpha Strike before it goes down. Um, now we'll look at the one TB, the Scorpion one TB. Uh, this one, size two TMM three, moves sixteen. Uh, it's a missile boat, short, medium, and long of two, armor of four, structure three with special of indirect fire one, and it comes in at 36. So I think it's all the one series, isn't it? Yes. No. Yep. And then we have the 2N. Uh, the 2N is that one that we looked at a minute ago, which I got to check something here. Let me see. All right, so the 2N in the rec guide comes with plasma rifle. Seems like you might get some heat out of that in Alpha Strike, you know. All right, so Scorpion 2N, size 2, TM of 3, movement of 16, skirmisher, short and medium of 2, long of 0, um, overheat 0, armor of 6, structure of 3, Specials, it has case two, indirect fire zero with a star and tag. I was I was hoping maybe it would have heat as well, but it doesn't, which kind of stinks because that would be pretty awesome, you know. Um, but it's a forty-one pointer. It's a nice little toolbox of a of a scorpion. And then we hop into all the double digits, which starts off with the ten M. Uh, there we go. The Scorpion 10M. This thing, like the picture for it, it's really weird. Uh, but it is size 2, TMF3 with a move of 14. It's a sniper. Comes in at 44 points. Um, hits really good for a Scorpion. It does 2 at short, 3 at medium, and at long. Doesn't have an overheat value. 5 armor and 3 structure. Uh, once again, it's living off of that TMM. And it has specials of indirect fire 1. So, it, it, it's a decent Scorpion. Um, it's better at medium and long range than all the ones we've seen so far, right? Then you have the 12C. Uh, this goes back towards the older Scorpion as far as some stuff. It's size 2, TMM2, movement of 12. Skirmisher, uh, 37 points. Short and medium of 2, long of 1, no overheat value. Has crazy armor has uh, seven armor and three structure. So this thing will take a hit way better than the, the, the first gen scorpions. Um, specials are C3I, INARC, and Mech HQ2, which really doesn't come into play a lot. Um, a C3I is nice, but you have to have units that use it. And of course that C3I cost is going into the point cost because it's already already uh, figured that you will hook this to a C3 network, so if it's not being hooked to a network for C3i, you're not getting your money's worth out of the points on the 12C. Um, after that, you have the 12K. The 12K is similar. It's a size 2 TMM2 12-inch missile boat, short of 3, medium of 2, long of 1, no overheat value. Armor of 6, structure of 3, 39 points. Uh, 
that says C3 Master. It says C3M, IF1, MechHQ5, and TAG. And that's something else that I want to check real quick, because I don't recall the 12K... course they don't have it in there i'll have to look that up but that seems oddly big for a scorpion like a big piece of equipment maybe i'm wrong uh then you have the 12s uh the 12s is size 2 tmm2 movement of 12 skirmisher 27 points so it's way closer to the older variants as far as that Reason for that, though, it only has five armor and three structure. Uh, its specials are Case and Flak 111. So, decent to have in your forces. Maybe a little bit of anti-aircraft capability, but other than that, it's not really, not really something to write home about. It's a little bit better of an old Scorpion. And then we have the Scorpion C. Uh, which is the clan refit of the Scorpion. Type battle mech, size 2, TMM of 3, movement of 16. It's a skirmisher. Comes in at 43 points. Uh, short of 3, medium of 2, long of 2, no overheat value. Has armor of 6 and structure of 3 with case 2, making it pretty robust for being a... Uh, you know, for being a medium mech, um, I mean, it hits better than than a lot of uh, the older mechs. And unfortunately, there is no Alpha Strike card for the Scorpion Lamb um, because land air mech, right? Uh, also incapable of working because it didn't work. Oh, so that is everything for this episode. That was a big one. Um, mind you, I did cover the tournament. I talked about the Death Hotel. I wish I'd gotten more interviews. Um, so there is that. But otherwise, you know, I mean, that's everything for this episode. I really, really enjoyed uh, the tournament. I kind of, you know, I, I kind of wish I'd saved the Tarantula for... Um, this episode, seeing as how I ran two of them, but I didn't, so there's that, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's about it, uh, there, I'm gonna try to have a, another episode this month, another full episode in November, because I feel like this is more of just a after-action report, um, than a real episode, and we're just talking about the tournament, so, you know, also, I wanted to give, first I wanted to give a shout out to um, the Mech Bay podcast. Y'all were there at the tournament, and it was really good seeing y'all. Um, watching Paint Dry was there. I didn't get a chance to talk to them. So, you know, we had at least three podcasts in the same building at the same time for the tournament. Uh, Death Ray Designs was there. I really, really, really want to thank Fortress for putting on the event again. Um, there's something else I was thinking of, but I can't remember it now. I don't know. Also, though, after talking about them, I do want to go ahead and thank my patrons. Um, 
all of you made this possible without y'all without without you know without your help in you know in your support this would not have happened um at least not the way it did i do really appreciate all of you and You know, I want to go ahead and I want to thank each of you. NB Kaiju, Nathan Riebling, Jamie, um, Scott, BZ Archer, and Sarah. Um, so I wanted to thank all of you for your support. And uh, yeah, y'all have a great day, great evening, great whatever it is where you are. Um, this is Unicorn Actual, signing off. I'm gonna find my meaning, I can make a change, I wanna play the game. You wanna sink or swim, I'm gonna go down swinging, deep within.